Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. How are your knees feeling? I get to cheat. I have this soft thing right here. It's a mat, so, you know. Uh... No, it's weird. Years ago in college, I was unsaved, and I was bartending my way through school. And it's weird. I used to stand on these things to pour drinks. Now I stand on these things. Now stand on these things to talk to people about Jesus. I never would have thought that. You know, I'd reach under to grab something. Now I reach under to grab a clicker. It used to be like, here's a bottle, of, you know, and that kind of thing. I'm just saying, God does changes. You know, a lot different. Serving up the Word now. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13. That was many moons ago. I'm 51 now. That was like mid-20s, early 20s, so long time ago. <sighs> I'm glad I'm here instead of there. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 13, picking up where we left off, starting in verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience and all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, this is a beautiful passage right here, now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, brethren... Bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. Imagine getting an email as long as Hebrews 13 said as a few words. <laughs> know that our brother Timothy has been set free. Well, that must have been felt great for everybody. Timothy and everybody else has been set free. Whom I shall see, whom uh, I shall see if you if he comes to you shortly. Greet all those who rule over you. And all the saints, those from Italy, greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray again. Lord, I ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to teach your word. Uh, Lord, remove me once again from the equation. Lord, remove every distraction in this room. Uh, set the enemy way outside the doors that we would be hearing from you. Your spirit would permeate this place. And Lord, we'd leave here transformed, obedient to your word, nourished by your word, and we ask it. In the precious name of Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep who's been raised from the dead, in your name we pray. Amen. You see the uh, title of today's message. Our, our, it's our final study. If you're visiting with us, you, you got here just before we closed the door on this study, our final study in the book of Hebrews. But you see the title, A Church Becoming Complete. And that's taken from verse 21. Look back the, uh, down in your uh, text there to verse 21 where he says, to make you complete in every good work to do his will. That's what Jesus wants to do for me, in me, through me, but you too, and this whole church. 
and the church. Some of your translations, instead of complete, they may say perfect or perfect. The Greek word is katarizo. Katarizo. Zach, uh, if you saw Wednesday night's uh, message, he did a, a study on the word teleos, a very similar, a complementary word, I would say, to this katarizo, uh, and it means to fit, or this word complete or perfect, it means to fit, to make sound, to put in order, to make complete, to strengthen, to adjust, to prepare and perfect. And you say, well, that's a lot of meaning in one word. Yeah, a lot of the Greek words have a very complex richness to them. And so you see all of that, to make fit, to make sound, to put in order, to make complete, to strengthen, to adjust, to prepare, to perfect. All of that is in that word complete. But what does it mean, spiritually speaking, to become complete? It means to be ready and available for the work and will of God given your current station in life. And your station has changed. I mentioned years ago when I was a bartender unsaved, I couldn't fulfill the will of God as an unsaved person. I had to first get saved. Once I got saved, then I could fulfill the station in my life. But becoming spiritually complete, once you've been saved, spiritual completion is perpetual. It's evergreen. You're constantly becoming complete. Does that make sense? Think about it. Put in order, make, uh, put in order, make sound, adjust, complete, strengthen. Sounds like every day, doesn't it? It is an everyday thing. Let me give an example about this becoming complete. How many of you say that are at least 20 years old? You're at least 20. Remember when you were 15. If you're 20, you should remember when you were 15. You should. 15 or 16. If you're over 20, uh, you, but you remember you're 20 or older, and some of you I know you're way over 20. I'm not going to expose how old some of you are. But you're over 20, and you remember that first job at either 15, 16, 17. I know some of you that used to daily walk 10 miles in the snow just to get to work got your first job at 12. But we're not talking to you. We're talking to everybody else that didn't start working when they were six. That first job. Simply filling out the application was at your handshaking a big deal. You had the cognitive ability to fill out an application. Some of you, your parents didn't go in there with you. They just sent you in there and said, fill it out. If you didn't know yet, you had to figure it out, right? What do, I, what do I say on this? But you had the cognitive ability to understand the questions. You, you take that for granted, but a five-year-old can't understand the application. But at 15, you could, Right? At 15, you could say, it's, it could say, uh, are you currently in high school? Yes, what's your GPA? I got one job, you had to have a 3.0 at least to get the job when I was 16. You had to be able to answer the questions. You had to have legible handwriting. Uh, employers looked to say, man, your handwriting is so bad, we couldn't count on you to even write something. Mine's that way now, it wasn't then. But all that had been formed in grade school. And you were able at that time to do what? You could complete the task at hand, and that was just to fill out the application the best you could. You were able, at that moment in your station in life, to complete the task at hand. You could fill new shoes and handle new responsibility because you had taken each prior step 
that got you to this next step, right? You had applied yourself to be able to be ready. You had applied yourself to be able to be ready. And Jesus tells us. Do you know Jesus tells us to be ready? Do you know he's telling every single believer, be ready, be ready. I could come before your game kicks off. Be ready to be complete, to be prepared. If he came today, are we completed? If Jesus came today, are you complete? As best as you know right now, are we being completed? Are we becoming complete? Are we walking steadfast in his counsel? Are we walking faithfully in the Lord? That's the closing exhortation here. Did you see it in the text? That's the closing exhortation. Let's do these things. Live how we've been called to live as his disciples, as his church. And what happens when we do that? He'll be glorified, not us. Man, the older you get, you don't, once you walk with the Lord a long time, you don't really care about self-glory anymore. You just want the spotlight all on other people on Jesus. He'll be glorified. We'll be blessed. We'll be settled. Don't you want to be settled? I talked about this last week. I love that nothing ruffled Jesus. No news hit him sideways. Nothing ruffled him. And then you see men like Paul become just like him in a, not a sinless perfection way, but that Paul said, none of these things move me. You want to become settled. And our lives will be touched and changed. And others' lives will be touched and change. And so turn your attention back to verse 16. We'll jump right back in. But do not forget to do good and to share with such sacrifices. God is well pleased. If you're taking notes, that we're going to look at four things. The first thing, uh, it's nice to have the clicker work this week. Last week I, I had to wrestle it. You know what we found out? They gave, remember it wouldn't work. Then I, then they brought me another one. The one they brought me, the batteries were dead. So uh, no matter what, it wasn't going to happen. They thought it was user error. I thought it was user error. We didn't say that. You know, this is our flawed condition. I'm thinking these guys don't know. They think I don't know. In both, the batteries were kind of the problem. But anyway, I digress. First of four points, we'll look at uh, be generous. Be generous. Don't forget to do good and share. With such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Would you agree we have a generous Savior? Yeah, of course we do. We have a generous Savior. Generous wouldn't even begin to describe what Jesus is, but it's the best we can kind of conjure up and think about. But we're called to be the same way with our time, with our talent, and the abilities and the treasures as well that God has given us and any possessions he's given us. And notice it says we're to do good, not do nothing. A lot of people say, well, I'm not doing bad. I'm not hurting anybody. But Jesus said, are you helping somebody? Remember the Good Samaritan? Anyone can kind of like, well, I didn't rob him and I didn't beat him and I didn't do any of the bad stuff, so I'm good, right? No, no, no. You actually, if you circumvent and say, I'm too busy to help people, I can't let go of my little checkbook, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't, 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 and you someday Jesus says, why didn't you? To do good is intentionality. We have to say, Lord, I'm looking for an opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. This is the second time in the closing chapter 
that the writer reminds the church to not forget. Second time in this closing 13th chapter. The first time was related back in verse 2 to being hospitable. Hospitality. Another thing that actually takes some level of effort. I'm going to have to open the doors and serve people. Jesus did that on the night he washed the disciples' feet. He was saying, I'm going to serve you. You have to learn to serve other people, to be sacrificial with your time and your talent and your treasure and your abilities. But both of these times where the church is told not to forget this, both times relate to tangible acts of love, not that saying, hey, like I said before, I tell you Merry Christmas once a year, that's, you don't need anything else from me, right? You send me a card, I send you a card. I wasn't going to send you a card until you sent me a card, now I'm sending you a card. <laughs> oh man, you gave me a gift, now I'm going to give you a gift. This, that season's coming up, by the way, just go ahead and prepare for it. And I would be okay with all of us that don't really need anything saying, Let, we don't have to give each other stuff, let's just go give it to people who actually need it. Right? To be sacrificial for those that really could use our help. And, uh, but again, in say not to forget, it's assumed that the believers here know already that they've been called to love, that they've been called to be generous, that they've been called to tangibly love people. To forget something, spiritually speaking, in this context, to forget is to become too busy too self-focused, too self-absorbed to even see or care enough to say, I would have helped, but I just didn't even know there was a need. And Jesus is like, how would you not know that? I've given you the Holy Spirit. Why would you not be in fellowship asking the question, looking at, uh, seeing you know, needs in the community, talking to your neighbors, whatever it may be. And when we forget and just kind of get self, self-absorbed and we don't see needs anymore, our compassion has cooled off. And these things can happen as we're so focused on life. We all have a life to live. You all will have problems this week, but that doesn't change the fact that we're supposed to still do good and be generous. Amen? Well, who's going to be generous to me? He who waters others will himself be watered. Don't don't worry about getting fed first. Go feed somebody. Go help someone. He reminds them to share and even if we haven't been sharing, and we haven't been giving, we haven't been helping, uh, it's good to remember, well, God's been really generous to me. If God's been so generous to me, I, I need to kind of get back in the game, and, and Lord, I need to see these needs. And we can go through seasons where we're kind of really generous, and all of a sudden we'll go nine months and not see a need. We just kind of we wake up like, well, I haven't done anything for anybody, but I've done a lot for me. How many Starbucks lattes have I had in the last nine months? You know, all these kind of things like, I need to pamper me. And yet there's a world that needs us to lend a hand. William S. Plummer says, he who is not liberal, and we're not talking about political here, uh, he who is not liberal with what he has, these are old quotes, uh, Sometimes the old quotes, you've got to educate the younger generation what these words meant in like the 1800s. But he who is not liberal with what he has does but deceive himself if he thinks he would be liberal if he had more. I would be generous if I had more time. No, you wouldn't. I'd be generous if I had more money. No, you wouldn't. I'd be generous if I had more abilities. No, you wouldn't. Jesus said, if I gave you one talent, what will you do with it? 
You'll either use it or you'll just kind of stick it in the dirt and say, well, I just didn't think it, you know, it didn't matter that much. If you gave me a lot, I would have done a lot. Man, that, that's a lie. Satan says, look, just find something this week. Even this week, write in your notes, Lord, show me this week I'm going to intentionally bless somebody. I'm going to write someone an encouraging email. Maybe it's a, I'm going to get a gift card for somebody. I'm going to look for an opportunity to be generous and watch God stir generosity up in your life. To intentionally invest in others' lives, Jesus was all about others. We have three months left in 2020, starting, what, Thursday, I think is the first. We have three months left in 2020. Let's resign to grow in generosity, because this is a closing exhortation. This is a closing remark. This is saying, hey, I, I need you to make sure, have you read the whole 13 chapters? Now go live it. Let's be generous and we got the Christmas season. Look for single parents to help. Kids without, I'm working on a project. I told you about Randy West, but uh, we're working on a, it'll be a documentary on the impact of fatherless homes. Look for people that really need the love of Jesus. As the world is so hate-filled right now, let's be the opposite we're called to be. Let's be generous and grow in generosity and, and not quickly forget what the Spirit is reminding. Moving on, verse 17 Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they must watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. By the way, it's not always fun as a pastor to read these verses, but they're in the Bible. And if they're here, we're going to read them. Amen? And this is what it says, and so we'll talk about that for a couple of minutes. What does it mean to be, if you're taking notes, point number two, be submissive? We not only have a generous Savior... But I don't know if you have noticed this about Jesus, but we have a submissive Savior. He submitted to the will of the Father. He submitted to the cross. If you think submitting uh, to people in your life is hard, try submitting being crucified naked or nearly naked on a Roman cross and spit upon and everything else. So Jesus submitted to humility. But ultimately he submitted to the will of the Father. I agree with theologians who think that Jesus' uh, down payment on the cross was guaranteed there in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, thy will be done. When he submitted to the will of the Father, it was a done deal. That was actually proof point of he was slain before the foundations of the earth. It was, there was no way it wasn't going to happen. But he was submissive to the will of God. He was submissive even to the cross. And so we're called to have the same spirit of submission. A spirit of submission. Today in America right now, we have a spirit of rebellion. We have people who hate, hate, hate authority. They hate truth. They hate logic. They hate science. They hate anything. And actually, they'll use all these terminologies, and they're actually the biggest offenders. Now, they still need Jesus. They're lost and deceived. But once you're saved... Everything changes. You become generous. You become submissive. You become humble. All of these things. And we have several reasons uh, why it's so important that as a church we have submission, the right level of submission to godly leadership. It has to be godly leadership. We talked about that last week. If you don't have godly leaders, you shouldn't be. If, if this church doesn't have godly leaders, you need to find another church. I wouldn't submit myself to people who aren't following Christ um, you know, when you, now you can't do this in a marriage, by the way. If you get the Bible talks about you know husbands and wives and, and submitting one to another, uh, one gets saved, the other gets saved. 
you're still going to love and, and stay with them, and perhaps they'll also come to Christ. Uh, but if two people are not married, let's say they're dating, I would not enter into a marriage relationship with someone who's not submitted to Jesus. I have three daughters. I'll be preaching this message to them right up until, the, you know, right until they find that hopefully perfect someone, right? <laughs> that, that the someone has to be submitted to Christ. Well, the same is true in church leadership. You want to have pastors and elders that are submitted to Christ. And if they're submitted to Christ, then this whole thing works. But it has to be both sides. They have to be submitted to Christ. The people have to be submissive to the will of God and leadership. And so you see these things are pieces that fit together by the work of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at some of the reasons. I have four of them, uh, subpoints, if you will. Uh, several reasons. For one, a submissive spirit why the focus of submission here as he closes the book, as he closes the letter, as he closes his exhortation, why the focus on submission? Number one, a submissive spirit demonstrates obedience to God. A submissive spirit demonstrates obedience. God is looking for not disobedient children, but obedient children. Amen? How many of you want your kids to be really disobedient for the rest of their life? Man, we pray that we'd have the most disobedient kids on earth. So disobedient that they won't listen to a thing we say. No, nobody thinks that way. Why would you want that in the church? A submissive spirit demonstrates obedience to God. And we can see, by the way, that the lost world around it. Did you know that God refers to the lost world as the sons of disobedience? Did you all know that? God refers to everyone who is still in darkness, which... I was up until the age of 26. Everyone who's still in darkness, God calls them the sons and daughters of disobedience. They don't know that. If you're talking to someone, you get into a conversation, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but you know, what you're expressing is actually just pushing against God. And the Bible says that before we come to Christ, we are sons and daughters of disobedience. Ephesians 2.2, Ephesians 5.6, Colossians 3.6, Ephesians 2.2, Ephesians 5.6, Colossians 3.6. It's very clear that God says disobedience is a proof of resisting him. Rebellion and disobedience are the opposite of obedience and submission. And a lot of times Christians can become very rebellious in their spirit and it fractures churches. Have you ever seen that? They, they, they develop a rebellious spirit, which is the same way they were in the lost condition, and it, but it's not necessarily murders and you know, uh, armed robberies and that kind of disobedience, but it's still destructive. Number two, submission is rooted in humility. Submission is rooted in humility. Humble people are willing to submit. I don't have any problem anymore. Before I was saved, I, liked, I just naturally resisted authority. Referees, police officers, teachers, principals, uh, you know, I had it, I had kind of, you just wanted to resist. You could say, you're like, why am I fighting this? Why don't I just say yes? Because God will reward that. We see that spirit in Daniel and Joseph, right? His brothers had the rebellious spirit, so much so that they sold him because they were so rebellious in their hearts. Almost destroyed the whole family, but God actually kind of kept the whole thing together. And aren't you glad that even when we do screw up with our rebellious hearts, God still protects us sometimes from doing worse damage than we could have done? Here's a tip this week. Backspace, 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 <laughs> right? You know, things like that. It's really good for you. 
That, that rebellious spirit, that lack of humility will show up. Jesus was humble, and he humbled himself, didn't he? And we know that God hates pride and he hates arrogance. Proverbs 8.13 expresses this very clearly. You can write that verse down. Number three, the structure of any unit, a marriage, a family, a team, a business, a school, the military requires submission for order, for cohesiveness, and for effective working. There has to be a submission structure. Has to be. Otherwise, it's just total chaos. They just put a roundabout in my neighborhood. You have to submit to the yield sign. Otherwise, we'll all run into each other in the roundabout. Now, secondarily, I have to teach people how this whole roundabout works. But now that and other people teach about... You should see our neighborhood Facebook page on this. It's really pretty funny. Uh, but, um, but a roundabout still has it. You have to submit. You can't just plow through. It's not about you. Football season has started back up, as you know. I'm sorry I have a bad influence on some of you that now like football. But many a talented team uh, has been derailed by the words, he lost control of the locker room. You ever heard that term? He lost control of the locker room. Why? Because there's, the submission is gone. Not coachable. Not teachable. Talent will implode. We can have a lot of gifts in this room, but if we're not teachable, if we're not humble, it doesn't really matter. It's even more important than the church. God has ordained his church to be submissive one to another. So why? It's so that Satan can't sow discord, that he can't sow friction and fracture, which he loves to do. He loves to tear people apart in the church so no one outside the church comes to know the Lord. But if the leaders are submissive to the Lord, humbling themselves in the role, and the church body is humble and submissive in spirit, we have this last point, which is a beautiful one, a good news for all of us. God will bless us by his grace. It says, uh, that, that live, he says about being submissive, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. God's saying, I want the leadership to have joy. I want you to have joy. Who doesn't want to have joy? Guys, I want it to be profitable for all of you. How many of you, when you make an investment, want it to be profitable? God said, if you've made this investment based on God's immeasurable investment, now I want to make it profitable. I want to grow God's joy and God's grace in your life, and God will bless us. I want to serve as a pastor and serve with joy. I do. I admit it. I want to not be with grief over people problems. I want to serve with joy. Do you want to serve Christ with joy? I hope you do. Then we can say, yeah, yeah I want that too. It's a good thing to want. Do we want God's help? Does anyone want God's help? He says, Is it be profit? do you want the profit of God, the profitable help of God? Do you want God's help? Do you want his grace? Do you want his blessing? Be submissive. God's like, here it is. Be submissive. I will do these good things. These blessings will come your way. Peter expresses this harmony in uh, 1 Peter 5.5. 5. He says, likewise, you younger people. It's interesting, we see our younger generation going out of control this summer. Why? Because no one taught them submission and humility. These poor teachers, it's the parents' fault in, in nine out of ten cases. Every now and then you have a, a child that really just of their own, the parents did everything right. But nine out of ten times, it's usually there's been no training. 
my calling as a pastor is to train us as a church, not to, you know, you're not children. You have a Bible and you have to apply it. But when you're bringing little ones up, they need to be trained in submission. And a lot of our young people today aren't. That's why we have out of control thinking and actions because there's not been taught that. But every now and then you get a prodigal like the prodigal son that he, his parents did raise him, right? And he still said, give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. I'm going to do whatever I want. But usually it's no one was there to guide him. When we go to the juvenile detention center, 85% of the kids there are from single parent homes and there's just no, the mom's trying to work, grandma's trying to raise, and so no one's there to instill discipline and submission and humility. That's why we're doing this little documentary that we're working on. It'll probably take another 18 months or so to, to complete it. But he says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another. This means children's ministry leader, children, you know, uh, someone teaching in the children's ministry, worship leader, worship team, doesn't matter where you serve. And be clothed, remember submission and humility go hand in hand, be clothed with humility. It's okay to just say, you know what, I'm going to yield to them. Do you know there's times in conversations where you actually have the answer and God says, keep quiet that you have the answer, that you know the better way to do it. And God says, I know you know the better way to do it, but let them do it that way. The way they're doing it is not wrong. It's not a sin. It might take an extra week the way they're going to do it, but right now you need to just humbly say, aye, aye, sir. In life, it's not always about, well, I know this and I know that and I know. God doesn't care what you know. He cares where you have a humble spirit. It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I would rather be humble and have God's blessing than just assert I know everything and not have his blessing. Amen? Boy, what if our politicians lived this verse? <laughs> the whole world would change. They know everything, don't they? I can't choose for other people, but I want God's grace for me, and I want it for the CCR family. Amen? Moving on, verse 18 and 19. Be prayerful. Pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. Who doesn't want to live honorably in the Lord? But I especially urge you to do this. Paul's like, I need your prayers that I may return to you sooner. Paul's like, I'm following God with all I have, but I still, by the Holy Spirit, am telling you to pray, 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 pray. Grow in prayer. Be a person of prayer. Uh, the first word of verse 18 is a constant for every believer in the church. Four words, four letters. P-R-A-Y, pray. Pray. Jesus said in Luke 18, 1, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. How often? Always. Always. Yeah, but this day has been horrible. Always. This day's been great. Always. This day's been mediocre. Always pray. Always. Boy, and when you become a person of prayer, you won't lose heart. Isn't that good to know? I, if I ask, ask for a show of hands, I, I know all of you have had times where you felt like losing heart. This situation's never going to change. This person's not going to change. I'm not going to change. You ever, you ever look in the mirror and say, that person is a, never going to change? And then you start praying, God, change me. 
It's a good prayer. Lord, I'm willing, I'm willing to be willing. Luke 21, 36. Jesus again. Watch therefore and pray. Here's the word again. Always. I think Jesus is trying to get our attention, don't you? Always that you may be counted worthy. This is talking about his, sec- his return for the church, his coming back. Uh, but it's applicable to everything. The word is remain in a state of prayer. Just You're at the traffic light. Lord, thank you for the beautiful blue sky. Lord, thank you that things have gone wrong today, that I can learn to rely on you, that you allow these things to test my patience. Almost every Sunday, we, we had a few things go wrong this morning, before, and we we like, it's going to be a great message, it's going to be a great sir. because when things go wrong, I, if you get a little kick in the teeth from the enemy, you know it's going to go well. Jesus taught us to live diligently and dependently on prayer, regardless of circumstances. Learn to pray at all times. You know, Corey Ten Boom spent time in a Nazi concentration camp. I can't even fathom what she went through. But she said, after she traveled the world uh, speaking in churches, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is it constant or is it very sporadic in your life? Well, I pray when I have crisis. I pray when I need God's help. I pray when we need more income. But if things are going well, all I need is a good Sunday service here and there, and I'm good to go. No. Then it's your spare tire. Has to be. I, I, I've come to the place that God, uh, and it's actually good, I have to actually depend upon God in prayer to survive life. And that's a good place to be. Now, you find joy in that. Don't get me wrong. By living that way, you actually find the more full life that Jesus wants you to have. But there's no power, there's no perseverance, there's no protection, there's no peace apart from prayer. Do you believe that? Or do you think, well, that's that, that preaches well, that I know it's in the Bible, but I don't really believe that because I don't really pray, but like a couple times a week, that means you believe in your own self. That you believe that you are the one that kind of makes everything work in your little universe, my little universe. I've come to believe, I've come to say, Lord, I can't have power without you. I can't persevere. I would have given up in this calling a long time ago. I can't uh, have protection from spiritual warfare. I can't have peace apart from you. And God motivates me to pray, not just in bad times, just talk to Him all the time. If the Word is our bread, prayer is like our water. Right? You need both. If the Word is our bread, prayer is like our water. They go hand in hand in a growing Christian and in a growing church. But notice it's not only that we pray, It's how we pray. Not only that we pray, but how we pray. The disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Luke 11.1. And by the way, as I was studying for this teaching, um, I was reminded uh, that Luke, you guys all know Luke was a physician, right? Luke was a doctor, a medical doctor. He was a physician in that day. Uh, But Luke, even though he was a doctor and a physician, he mentions prayer or praying more times than any of the other three gospel writers. Isn't that interesting? Luke's a medical doctor, and he mentioned prayer the most of any of the writers. Quite a bit more. He mentioned it 26 times. The next closest is Matthew, only 21 times. And more than John and Mark combined, Luke mentioned prayer a lot. 
Luke as a doctor also mentioned miraculous healings the most. So he mentioned prayers, he mentioned prayer the most and healing the most. What's one thing we constantly need in this country that's sick? Well, before coronavirus, we're building hospitals on like every corner, like 7-Eleven and Wawa now. It's like everywhere. We have a lot of people need healing, don't we? Physical healing, mental health, heart disease, diabetes, you name it, we've got it. And Luke said, I'm a doctor, but I'm here to tell you, you have to invest in your prayer life. You have to invest in that prayer life. We have to become people of prayer and pray constantly for others. He's saying, pray for us. Not just that we pray, but he, Paul, uh, this isn't Paul, by the way. I don't know why I said that earlier. But some people think Paul wrote Hebrews, and he may have wrote Hebrews. But um, uh, some people think it might have been Luke, actually. But regardless of who wrote Hebrews, the writer is saying, pray for us. One of the ways you have to pray is not just for yourself. You have to learn to pray and intercede for other people. Be an other person prayer warrior, praying that God would move on the behalf of other people, that they would fight the good fight. Pray for those that are proclaiming the name. He says, pray for us. These, these men were doing the work of God. Pray for missionaries. Pray for evangelists. Pray for those that are out there standing in the gap. Pray for those in your life. Pray for this church. R.A. Torrey said this, my last point on the prayer, and then we'll have our fourth and final point. Oratory said, when the devil sees a man or woman who really believes in prayer, who knows how to pray, and who really does pray, and above all, when he sees a whole church on its face before God, which is why we got on our knees earlier, he trembles as much as he ever did, for he knows that his day in that church or that community is at its end. Tozer's like, if a church learns to pray, it doesn't matter if their pastor is nowhere near as good as Pastor so-and-so on the radio and David Jeremiah and Greg Laurie and all these guys. And I like, you know, I, I like these guys too. But he's like, that's not the power. The power is prayer. Jesus said it. Always pray. Always pray. And the devil knows it. Jesus was, the, the devil interrupted Jesus' 40-day prayer meeting, didn't he? But he couldn't have any impact because Jesus was so girded in prayer. And so will you when the enemy attacks you this week, next week, next month, next year. Last point. Verse 20, 22, and it really kind of finishes out the whole chapter. Let's look at verse 20 and 22, 20 through 22. Now may the God of peace, which is a beautiful title of God, may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus, another title, from the dead, the great shepherd, another title, of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, Make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that uh, what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And then verse 22, and I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation. Last point here, be, em be empowered disciples. Uh, we have a calling as believers. We have a responsibility. We have a command to obey and yet the byproduct of our response is still to be fully dependent on who and what. We have a command, but we're, we're, we're to do these things. Be good, do, uh, do good, be generous, be submissive, pray. Those are action-oriented commands. You must put these into practice commands, right? If, I, if you tell your kids, tie your shoes, make the bed, 
wash the dishes. Those are action-oriented commands. But ultimately, you have these action-oriented commands, but who are we still fully dependent upon that it does the intended work in us? Well, it all starts with the gracious and unfailing God who sent us. Look back at your text. Now may the God of peace. It starts your growth, your maturity, your becoming complete all starts with God. All starts with God. Now may the God, the God who is gracious, unfailing, who sent His Son, uh, this becoming complete is to fulfill God's will as His lights and witnesses in this world. Those of you online listening with us as well, it's His work in us. His work in us. Our will indeed plays a role. Would you guys agree with that? Our will plays a role. Otherwise, there'd be no reminder to be generous. There, if our will had nothing to do with it, there'd be no reminder. You wouldn't need to be, you wouldn't need to be reminded to be submissive or humble or anything like that. Uh, no words would be needed because we'd all be Christian robots. On autopilot, I do exactly what I am told. At times, we kind of wish we were that, because then we wouldn't resist at times. But it's not that. God gives a will, but he also gives the power to fulfill the will, his will. And of course, we know God wants to work in us, but we have to be willing, and we have to be living sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, but even the desire to be willing, brother and sister, hear this, those of you online as well, hear this, even the desire to be willing is still a gift of God's grace. Isn't that true? The fact that I even want to serve God faithfully is part of God's grace working in me. Because there's not in you, Paul said this, nothing good dwells. I hate to break that to everybody. Nothing good dwells. If you're still trying to perfect your husband, and the husband's still trying to perfect your wife, nothing good dwells in that other person. But when we yield it to God, it's his work. It's a gift of his grace, and we'll receive that grace just as we did with salvation. We'll receive that grace and grow because God loves us that much. And becoming complete, becoming mature and empowered disciples, we will by the Spirit follow the commands of the Lord. Because God is faithful, notice the progression of reminder and encouragement as we attempt to live for Jesus. Notice this progression. I put four of them up on the screen here uh, in the verses themselves. We have the God of peace. This is, this is who you have as your source, your backstop, your immovable help from God to yield your will and watch God do everything else, right? We have the God of peace. Who raised Jesus? He's the great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, the writer is saying these things cannot fail. They cannot fail. They cannot fail. Like the sun will not shine. You, we can, as Americans can vote for the sun to stop shining and it will not listen to us. These things can't fail. The creator of the universe and the only giver of grace, the one who raised Jesus, if he conquered sin, if he conquered hell, if he conquered Satan, if he conquered all those things, guess what? He can conquer the obstacles in our life, including our bad attitudes. We're weak and helpless sheep, but Jesus is our great shepherd. Amen? 
we're pretty weak sheep. But he'll protect and direct our life. And although we'll fall short of perfection, we're covered by his blood. Wasn't that great this morning? Some of you blew it already today, and Jesus already forgave you already today. By the way, some of you, it means all of us. Even when we think we're doing right, we're probably not in some microscopic area. Still, a little bit of pride, a little bit of resistance, a little bit. And so we're constantly being covered by the blood, covered by the blood, covered by the blood. It's a fountain, as the hymn says, right? It's a fountain. His work of grace and provision undergirds our will and submission. He sets a table for our walk in our life, and we pick up the utensils and we feed on His grace. He sets the table. We feed on it. Verse 21, again, it says, becoming, make you complete, becoming complete. It's his working in us. This is why my life verse, and those of you that have been here any length of time, you know it, 2 Timothy 1.12, for I know in whom I have believed, I have, I have to believe and persuade. I have to believe, that's my will. I must believe the commands, but he is able to keep that which I've committed. I can't even keep it. No more than I have, I have not prayed once in the pulpit, Lord, keep my heart beating, not one time, and thankfully he did. He keeps the heart physically and spiritually. He keeps what we've committed. But I had to believe my will, and I had to what? Commit my will. Those are two things. He keeps what we commit. What am I committing to? What are you committing to? It's his commands and his will. It, it, if I take and you take the small, steady steps of surrender, he'll help us keep them and complete them until our race is complete. Because we still have a race to run. He's the cornerstone of our salvation and our sanctification. Our completion, his being, his perfection, his holiness is the source of our becoming. The works, verse 21, were prepared for us. That, that working in us pleasing through, through Christ Jesus, that working through is who? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that does the through, the provision, the promise that we have to believe and to follow. Uh, then we get what? We get the power. We believe, we receive the power, and it all flows from God. And it starts, now may the God of peace. It flows from God. It comes down from the Father of lights. It comes from God that we would be able the whole flock, every sheep in the flock to become complete. God didn't say, yeah, I only want 99 out of 100 to be complete. No, even the one he wants to become complete. Amen? None of you say, I just, if, if three out of four of our kids are complete in Jesus, I'm good with that. That's 75% odds. Who would argue with that? No, we don't think that way. And God doesn't. He wants all of us to bring him glory, all of us to be complete, all of us to receive his help, his grace, his desire for each and every one of us. And you can believe that Jesus wants it for the church as a whole to reflect him. The entire letter, verse 22, has been an exhortation. He says the whole thing has been an exhortation, that you can do this, that, that God will do it for you and in you through it. It's the coach who says, I know you've got nothing left in the tank. You you're, fall back on your training, you can do this. Jesus says, fall back on my grace, and you can do this. 
fall back on surrendering to me and you can do this. And then this last, these last verses I appeal to you, uh, he goes on to say in verse 23, know that our brother Timothy has been set free, whom I shall see if he comes to you shortly. Greet all the saints who rule over you. These last few uh, further encouraging words, it's just a reminder to us that uh, God is a prayer answering God. Timothy's been set free. That's like a prayer request. Remember when y'all were praying for that and you thought it would never happen? It happened. So back to the verse, keep praying for us so other people can be set free. Prayer has been answered. And oh, by the way, hope to see you all soon. God wants us to love one another. Get together. Come together. Humble together. Submissive together. Pray together. And so as I come back to our opening questions, as we close this out, if Jesus came today, are we complete? Are we becoming complete? Are we walking faithfully in his counsel? And if not, will we commit? Will we say, Lord, I'm surrendering the two things that I can offer. The only thing we have to give to God is obedience and surrender. You can't give him money. You can't give him talent. If there's any talent, he gave it to you. You can only give obedience and surrender. Amen? Let's close in prayer.